0: Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and US Bank.
1: Hello, this is Ron Shaw, CFO and COO of Hodges Mason. You are listening to the
0: CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode two hundred and forty-four. How is a finance leader? Are you, driving, are you driving change, change in your organization? organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Gary Bender, a career CFO who has long rejected the traditional traits that often define finance leadership.
1: In general, because my team knows how to follow a process and they know how to do the analysis, it generally provides opportunities for people in my team to broaden their roles. and I'm always happy when half of my team moves out of finance into other parts of the company because it gives me a chance to bring, you know, Opportunities to my folks and to, like I always say, sort of disrespectfully raise the financial IQ of the entire organization by exporting financial people.
0: Listen to our complete interview with Gary after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, Their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis, the very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hello, we're speaking with Gary Bender, a career CFO who is today EVP and CFO of Garden State Engineering Surveying and Planning, the largest heavy construction survey firm in greater New York City. Think skyscrapers, bridges and tunnels. He's also one of the co-founders of the CFO Alliance as well as the CFO Solution and the Manufacturer's Advantage. We look forward to learning about
1: each of those. Gary, welcome. Uh, Nice to talk to you, Jack. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, happy to have you join us at the uh, CFO Alliance course. I had the opportunity to uh, capture and curate some of the discussions which you regularly contributed to and always shared relevant and timely insights. And so today uh, we're looking forward to learning from you once again, Gary, and also have you reflect back a little on your career, which is, of course, where we always like to begin. What were those career experiences you feel best prepared you for a CFO role?
1: They were when, when, when I was asked to or told to go beyond the traditional role of finance and go across the organization. It was either dealing directly with customers, at, and I'm talking at, at ages of 22, 23, 24 years old, where I engage with either customers, suppliers, union organizations, or really challenging situations the company found themselves in. The first one was when I was uh, 24 years old, I was sent to Florida to justify an expansion in the go-go years of condos and highways. And I got there and did a traditional financial analysis and found out that the company was liquidating uh, the parent company to fund the growth in Florida. And it was a terrible message to deliver. Three months later, uh, I wound up with the assignment to sell off part of the company and handle the, the divestiture and ultimately sold myself out of a job. The, the real challenging part of that was in the meantime, I moved from finance into sales and then into operations because I had to learn what the problems were, try to fix them, and, um, and then ultimately that knowledge helped me sell the business. That was tough to do at 24 years old, and, um, but it was a great experience showing that finance could lead across the organization as long as you knew what you were talking about and had some credibility.
0: Now, you've always been a professional who's able to work across the organization. What exactly are the skills that you have that allow you to do that more easily than perhaps uh, some more traditional CFOs?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm probably the worst accountant as a CFO, and I'm probably the most extroverted CFO you'll ever meet. In between there is an ability to listen to two things, to listen to what people are really saying in your own organization and to listen to the voice of the customer. And the voice of the customer is always someplace in your company. You just have to go find it, whether it's in complaints or credit memos or return goods or or just some kind of a complaint that feeds itself back through the salesman or the the delivery person. And you start to figure out what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And most uh, accounting-based CFOs or, or controllers don't tend to listen that way. They look at the numbers, and I listen listen pretty well.
0: When you think of the CFO role today, what is it that the type of job you want to create
1: for yourself? I I want a job where I probably spend a third of my time in finance and a third in strategy, which, which is a lot of customer facing, customer listening, market assessment, and the last third in process. Because at the end of the day, the longevity and success of the organization is going to be based on having the right processes in place that are flawless and proactive.
0: Along the way, have you found it necessary to, to reorganize finance? Or are you someone who steps in and you have a, a notion in mind as to what needs to be done with your team? And
1: um, I, I don't have a notion in mind when I, when I start. It, it comes to me fairly quickly in 30 to 60 days. And what I generally do is first get the processes right in finance. And that generally tells me where the processes don't work in the rest of the company. If I wind up going into a company and finding out that we have a problem issuing credit memos, that's not the problem. The problem is the root cause of the credit memos. It's either pricing or order errors or specification errors. Something's wrong. And then I wind up going out of my silo very quickly and going across the company to find out why. And what that generally leads to is a broadening of the role of finance to get into process um from order initiation and market development to make sure the processes are in place. And generally because my team knows how to follow a process and they know how to do the analysis, it generally provides opportunities for people in my team to broaden their roles. And I always, I'm always happy when, when half of my team moves out of finance into other parts of the company because it gives me a chance to bring, you know, uh, opportunities to my folks. And to, like I always say, Sort of disrespectfully raised the financial IQ of the entire organization by exporting financial people.
0: Tell us something about this, this space you're you're in with the Garden State Engineering Surveying and Planning. Now, this is quite uh, different from some of your other organizations, or not? Well,
1: it's, what, it's you tell very me? different, very different move. I worked for Fortune 100 and 200 companies for about 30 years of my of my career. And then in the last 10 years, I've worked for uh, three or four others, private company, private equity companies, uh, uh, startups, turnarounds, and I've invested in a few companies. And what I found was that we could protect the value of engineering-based companies. The, our, our, our product couldn't be manufactured offshore cheaper. Uh, engineering had a technology I enjoyed, and, and there were opportunities. A partner and I bought. Garden State Engineering three years ago, and um, found the business to be fascinating and with potential, with the need for technology investment, process, and to develop the next generation of leadership. So we bought the company. We've been successful. It's been challenging because neither of us are engineers or surveyors. So we had to learn another business, and uh, we found it fairly easy to learn the business, and, uh, and now we're owners of the company.
0: What were the fundamentals that made you believe that there was something there?
1: The, uh, the brand was very strong. They they had a phenom- they still have a, the best people in the business, and they uh, invest in, in training and technology. They didn't have the processes to back it up, and they were easy to put in, and they had never had a sales or business development function in the company for over 20 years. They, they used their, their technology and their reputation to grow the company. And not surprisingly, they hit a bit of a ceiling because they weren't touching certain sectors or certain major uh, potential clients. So we have focused on expanding the geography a bit and, more importantly, making sure we talk to all of the potential clients in the heavy construction industry in greater New York City.
0: As, as you already suggested, you're not uh, sort of a traditional uh, CFO, and you didn't come up the traditional track, I don't believe. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> And you're also highly social, and of course, the CFO Alliance is, is a group of uh, CFOs that network across the country today in different markets, um, and you're, you're, you're well known there, um, and it, you have these other interests as well, which I, we want to learn something about today as well, which is the, the CFO uh, solution and the manufacturing advantage. What, what brought you into these types of ventures?
1: It took me about 20 years to realize, 20 years of really long hours and hard work to realize I could never know everything. And that was one of those turning points in your life, about 40-some years old. And, uh realized at that point I needed uh, to have pretty smart friends, and, and I had to go out and develop smart friends. <laughs> and and uh, I could bring a little bit to the party because I'm a, not a traditional finance person. I've been in a number of silos and functions in my, in my life, so I could always be the outsider to my traditional tax experts, lending experts, risk experts, accounting experts. So they would bounce ideas off me because they had been in the silo for their whole career. And that's how CFO Alliance got started. In uh, 2008, we had six uh, rookie CFOs. We had all come from large companies. We were all specialists. And we would get together once a month in Philadelphia where we all worked and lived and, and just uh, talk about challenges and how we could help each other. And after about a year of this, I walked in one day and said, I need a smarter group of friends because I've got problems I can't even describe. We laughed about it, and we talked about how can we really build um, uh, just, just an alliance of working CFOs to help each other. And it was either help each other with what we knew or the people we knew and do introductions from that. Group of six CFO alliances now over 5,000 private companies, CFOs, VPs, of finance controllers. They get together virtually and face-to-face with subject matter experts, but more importantly sharing those uh, one-on-one conversations you know, with perfect quote, perfect strangers across emails and phone calls to people I've never met face-to-face. So uh, that, that, that was eight years and going strong. A year and a half ago, I kept raising the question, we have all these great discussions and presentations and white papers, but they're not easy to search. How do I find the best practices when I need them? And I created the CFO solution, a play on the CFO alliance, but it was basically an online repository of best practices for our member CFOs to use. It started off with something as simple as best practices from revenue to taxes and from cash to, to uh, retained earnings from the income statement and balance sheet, and it's grown to over 15 silos, touching on HR, IT, software, uh, tax treatments, financing treatments, affordable care compliance, everything that that, that we struggle with as private company CFOs, we're try- we're attempting to to cobble together the best practices of our peers into an online site called the CFOsolution.org, and it's a it's an open domain site where members of CFO Alliance and other CFOs and wannabe CFOs can go take a glance at what the best practices are and uh, might find some answers. And, and they'll find people they can talk to because we've identified our best partners as contributing editors. Now all of our partners are willing to take a phone call or an email from somebody with, uh, with an issue. So...
0: You're creating this from the ground up. I mean, was there, you know, did you originally reach out to perhaps more traditional networking organizations that are out there and have existed for some time, uh, to see if you could partner with them, or what, what led you to do this, uh, from, from the, again, from the bottom up?
1: Well, Jack, I'm not that smart, so I didn't, I didn't think about using other networking groups. The networking groups that I belong to frequently are to help you find a job or to help you find somebody to hire, but they're really not designed to help the working private company CFO. And I was reluctant to ask my, my peer for an introduction to their CPA or their banker. I just didn't feel comfortable uh, doing that. So for whatever crazy reason, um, a little over a year ago, I started CFO Solution to cobble together best practices. And just recently, I uh, and it's a team of eight CFOs, the CIO, an editor, and a videographer. Um, we shifted to an ebook format to make it easier to update and to search. And the crazy part is, it's, um, it's either a very modest annual subscription or it's free. It just depends on if you're in the organization, or if you're a friend of the organization, or if you're a total stranger. But we think it's a pretty good return on investment.
0: Okay, so give us uh, uh, the profile of the private company CFO who would uh, want to tap into this. What exactly is the pain point that leads them to uh, look into your your sort of your archive of best practices?
1: Well, I'll give you an example. I just I met with a company this morning CFO um, and, and keep in mind this is about a seventy five to hundred million dollar company. He's about to do a fifteen to twenty million dollar facility expansion so very significant. Uh, uh, investment for him. He came to one of our workshops a couple weeks ago and he was the first time attendee and he had never heard of cost segregation for tax depreciation. Basically a way to front and load your depreciation on, on a real estate facility investment. And he walked away and said that half hour saved me a million dollars a year in taxes. And um, he didn't know how to do it. So I very quickly introduced him to one of my my partners, who's an expert in the field, and I had to share with him that ten years ago I didn't know about it either. And the the guy I just introduced him to wound up getting me uh, a retroactive tax depreciation credit of a million four hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars to a forty million dollar company that I had just joined. That was a very significant um, gain, and this I was honest enough eight years ago to admit i didn't know what it was reached out to somebody and i actually felt good about helping the uh, this younger guy to learn about it in that journey he's found another million dollars of benefits he didn't know about that are all related to the facility he's about to to um construct i felt uh, very satisfied to help out the next generation of cfos <laughs>
0: Uh, I'd be very interested for our next question, which is where I we, we look for that aha moment, a moment of strategic insight that you've had along the way, and I'm sure you've had many of them. But what would you share with us as far as uh, a moment of strategic insight that allowed you to look at the world a little differently or point your team in a different direction? What would that have been?
1: I probably have two of them, Jack. Uh, I told you about when I um – when I had to try to to justify an expansion, I wound up selling a, a major part of the business when I was a young guy. A couple of years later, I wound up at a at a Fortune 100 company, who had uh, kind of stumbled into a major technology advancement, which we take for granted today. But it was how to take uh, beverage cans, aluminum beverage cans, beer cans, and soda cans, and recycle them. And well, what they did is they recycled them with the state of the art technology. That they uh, spent a lot of money on, and, and a lot of trial and error. And, and, and in the meantime, I'm the uh, financial manager for this R&D venture, early startup, and we got it to work. And we were faced with a, a $500 million investment to either commercialize it or just to walk away from it. So I did the analysis to basically say, based on the company's strategy, shut it down and sell it. So we chose not to shut it down, and I did the analysis to say it's worth something to someone out there in the aluminum industry, let's go ahead and run it, break even, make cash, you know, do do the best we can, but find a way to add value. And we wrote it down, I remember the numbers very well, we wrote it down to $6 million. And um, I was told, sell it for $6 million and move on to something else. I sold it for over $35 million because the, the aha moment, to use your point, was I was able to, to show a handful of potential buyers the impact of the technology and the impact it would have on their cost structure and their fortunes. Um, I made a lot of assumptions doing that. I was probably very bold and, and uh, incorrect in some of my assumptions, but it allowed them to, to value the business, what it's worth to them in the future, not what, what we had spent on it and written it down to and we had an auction and bid the the offers up to six times what my boss expected me to deliver. And that, that showed me that think like a customer, don't think like a finance guy. And that's, that's when I moved from finance into non-financial um, executive roles.
0: It is interesting. All along the way, you seem to be telling us that you you uh, in part judge your success by having your team move into other areas of the business. Uh, you're telling us now that you should be thinking like a customer to be successful in in finance. Perhaps um, would love to explore this a little more with you in developing people and what other aspiring finance leaders can uh, how to how to develop themselves. Uh, is there Looking back, as you have developed finance people and teams of people in finance, what do you do differently than we would be led to expect uh, from CFOs?
1: Well, I did. I, I developed a lot of people. In the last company, we hired very, very fast-track MBAs, typically with engineering degrees. And, you know, the, 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 the folks right out of top MBA schools were, were certain they knew everything, but they didn't know the business and I always coached them, insisted they understand the business case before they do the financial analysis. And uh, that was painful for them because they didn't, they didn't have all the fundamentals. A lot of the engineers had, had, you know, had, a, had a good MBA, but they didn't understand the basics of the balance sheet. They didn't understand you know, what, what an accountant growing up in the organization would know about cost stacks and the analysis. So I just kept pushing, forcing them to learn the business then do the financial analysis. And as a result, a lot of them worked a lot of long hours, and a lot of them basically said, why don't you just show me the format to do the analysis the way you want it, and I'll have it done for you tomorrow. I said, no, why don't you think through it, learn the business, come back with the alternatives, you know, analyze the alternative and make a recommendation. I said, that's a lot of work by tomorrow. I said, yeah, well, the day starts and ends at midnight, so figure it out. And I uh, um, had a lot of luck doing that. You know, not all of them loved me. I think they all respected me. All the young accountants who came out of accounting programs and went right into cost accounting and you know and basic general ledger accounting rarely had the opportunity to learn about the business. They were in the back room, and I always had the opportunity, and, and I and I, I used the foil of teach my my sharp young MBA know-it-alls accounting, and what I did in return was I taught the accountants the business, and I encouraged accountants to move from their comfort area. Into certain projects with the analysis department, into budgeting, into planning, into due diligence for acquisitions. And I was told them, look, I'm giving you 10 or 20 hours more per week on this project for a couple of months, but you're going to learn a lot, and you're either going to become a better accounting manager uh, because you know the business, or you're going to find an opportunity to change your career. And that was always the quid pro quo I had with accountants and auditors. I will teach you the business, and I will get you involved in the business, and I'll give you incredible praise and I'll have your back at all times because you're going to make mistakes. And that was the trade-off. And I I walked the talk. Um, And I took a lot of bullets for accountants that made analytical mistakes. And it was basically I I didn't train them well enough to do the analysis. And the company was supportive. And a lot of the accountants moved into procurement and into sales support and into IT because they learned the business. They knew the general ledger. They didn't know the business. And I invested a lot of time mentoring across functions.
0: We have what we call now the mentoring round which is the uh, opportunity for you to inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today?
1: The broader role that finance can take across the company. Um, there's so much risk in, in, in any size company that you have to be proactive. And finance, good finance leaders, Uh, And I would say great finance leaders can be proactive and understand the business and and, and help shape the company, whether it's training, recruiting, processes, or just walking the factory floor or talking to a sales guy when you get a chance at the coffee machine to understand what they're doing and to change the persona of accounting to be a, a, uh, a partner or a leader. And it's a different personality. It takes a different personality of the organization. And function. And I will tell you, I never asked permission from the CEO to expand the role of finance. I just did it. And occasionally I get reined in, but it was ten, less than 10% of the times I told to throttle back and not get so involved in the rest of the company. Now, as a result, oh. I work 60 hours a week for 40 years. My wife and kids will tell you that Dad's always working, and I always you well, I guess I'm not the smartest guy there because they're home with their families at 5 o'clock and I'm home at 6.30. So I guess your dad's a dummy. And uh, maybe I am.
0: <laughs> Looking back, what is that uh, piece of advice you wish someone had told you maybe at the start as you first landed in the CFO office? What, what do you wish someone had told you at that point in time?
1: I... But I have to think about that question, Jack. I know what I know what they told me early in my career. Um, I, I, but to answer that question, when I, when I left a multi-billion-dollar company to become a first-time CFO, uh, some of the toughest bosses I had were the CFOs and, and you know very very senior guys at the big company, and every one of them reached out to me, and said, "If you're going into uncharted territory, um, you'll do fine, but don't hesitate to call us." So I. Thing. That's the same reason my cell phone's on my business card, and people um, people know they can call me, and maybe I can help them.
0: <laughs> Is there a personal habit you have that uh, you believe's contributed to your professional success?
1: A personal habit, Jack? That's a great question. I, I think it's it's literally to try to help all the other functions in the company. I don't take any credit for it. You know, when sales was successful in a product launch, and I helped them in the pricing or I helped them in the capacity planning for it, that's a sales success. It's not me. So I guess maybe it's being a little bit humble. Passionate and humble. It's a dangerous combination.
0: Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart? year By the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com/middlemarket. Our final question: What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months?
1: We continue to have uh, growth challenges. We are we are growing beyond the resources that we can find, so we are uh, identifying people in the organization and changing the organization as we need to to support growth. While well, very actively trying to recruit senior and uh, future uh, future stars into our company. It's it's a shallow industry, and we're we're in a geographical niche. So for us to grow, we need to add the right resources, and we're looking at it from every possible solution.
0: Gary Bender, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader.
1: Jack, was my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it listener's choice. And in the months ahead, our listener's choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's listener's choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends... We just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening.